Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Chris Emmons. We're glad you're here at White Oak. Uh, we're really excited to have you here this morning, especially like Ronnie said, if you're someone who's here for the first time or you're new, you've been here a few times, we're really glad you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. Thanks for being here. And as also Ronnie kick, mentioned, we're kicking off a new series here. Um, you know, watching that video, I'm sure you're wondering, yeah, it's about your big fat mouth, my big fat mouth too. We all got them in some way. And let me tell you something, is anybody else hot? Woo, man, I'm hot. You guys don't realize that this shirt is not like a fancy shirt that's supposed to look wet. It's just wet. Like I've been, I was here in the first service. I got here around eight and this place was like a sauna. It was hot in here. I'm telling you what, if I had a tank top, I would put it on. I would. I'd just be out here. I'd be like, I don't even care, you guys. I don't care. This is actually the Holy Spirit, how he feels when he moves. Um, But we're glad you're here. Enduring the heat with us, it's way hotter outside. I've taken like eight showers in the last two days. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just, it's way too hot for me. I like warm weather. I don't like this warm of weather. So like if I could just hibernate like opposite of bears somehow in the summer, that'd be great. Now, we're here to talk about my big fat mouth. And I can tell you that my mouth in my life has gotten to me in, in some trouble sometimes. Uh, you know, there was a time in my life where I, I thought I knew everything. And that meant I was going to say what I want and when I wanted to say it. Now, I've grown up a little bit. I still know everything. Um, but the difference, well, wait a minute. I don't know everything, right? That's what I was, no, I still, see, my mouth's getting me in trouble already. I've already done it again. I'm, I'm, I need to watch what I say. Someone should have told me not to say I know everything, even though I do. Um, but here's, that's what we're doing. We, we say things and we get in trouble. And I think we've all been there. We've had those moments where we let something come out and we realize that we made a mistake. We said something we shouldn't have said. And we got this real awkward moment where we're in this, okay, I just said something I shouldn't say. And then we immediately start trying to like backpedal or pretend like we meant something else. Like, have you ever said you didn't like something that's food-wise, and, and the person next to you is like, yeah, I made that? Well, what I meant when I said I didn't like it was it's just not, it's really good for what you, and yeah, like, you're immediately backpedaling, and everybody, you think, oh, no one noticed, right? Nobody, yeah, everybody noticed. Everybody noticed that you made a mistake, and there's this weird moment, and you're, everybody's in this awkward moment. We've all done it. Well, and maybe, maybe you're not that person. Maybe you haven't done that, okay? Maybe you don't have that problem. But maybe you're the person that everybody knows as the complainer, right? That when in all situations, no matter what's going on, you always find the negative in, in the situation. And they got a name for that. It's called Debbie Downer. Um, so some of us might be Debbie Downers in here, okay? Or maybe you're that person who's just never satisfied, you just don't, you're constantly saying things like, well, if I had this better job or this better house or better fill in the blank, everything would be good, right? I think we all fall in there somewhere, and that's where our big fat mouths get us into trouble. We say things that we don't think we really should be saying, and that's what we're going to be going into over these next four weeks. We're going to be talking about some things that we need to cut out of our vocabulary, words that we need to eliminate using and eliminate thinking about. And we're going to be diving into the Bible here, and we're going to be kind of spending some time at least in one, at, at, talking about my big fat mouth in one part of it. We're going to be in J- James. And the book of James, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to pull it out or pull it up on your Bible app. 
If you don't have a Bible, we've got them at the hub. We'd love for you to take that. But we're going to be in the book of James. And James was Jesus' brother, actual earthly brother. And James is writing a letter to the church at the time, trying to basically tell them how they can live and deal with struggles that they're having. So we're going to be in James. We're going to be in James chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 2. So here's what, what James says. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, here we have James writing to the church, telling them that if someone was able to control what they say or to control their own tongue, they would be a perfect man. That's what the word he uses, perfect, right? He then kind of gives us an illustration of what that means to guide your tongue and how, and how we would really do that. Like when he talks about the horse, if you know anything about horses and riding horses, they put these bits in the horse's mouths, and that's how they control the direction that the horse goes, is by pulling these bits in their mouth. Just this tiny little thing pulls around this giant beast, you know. Ships are the same way. He gives an illustration of a ship. A ship, which is this giant water vessel, is guided by such this small part, just a tiny part of the boat itself, guides the direction that the boat goes. This is our tongue as well. He, he's comparing our tongue to these things, and, and that's because the tongue is an amazing muscle. Now, you may not know much about the tongue, so I'm going to give you a little education about your tongue. Um, the average tongue, if you didn't know it, is about three inches long. Some people have longer tongues than others. My son can touch his nose with his tongue, which is something. I don't know if he should be doing it. I don't know why he does it. It bothers us that he does it, but he will stop, right? I'm pretty sure that'll happen. Um, and, and the interesting thing about tongues is we've got like 3,000 taste buds in our tongues, right? So we've got 3,000 different taste buds in our tongues. And the, the taste bud in itself is not, was not really designed in our bodies just for us to enjoy food. The actual design of the taste bud was so that we could tell whether food was sour or bitter, so that we could be able to tell if it had gone bad or it might even be poisonous. It really was, our taste buds were designed as a defense mechanism for us to be able to stay alive. Now, your tongue is unique. Each tongue is different. You may not know this, that the tongue has a fingerprint. Well, it's not a fingerprint, it's a tongue print. But it's like a fingerprint, and they're all different. So literally, they could identify you by your tongue print. And it's not necessarily true that the tongue is the strongest muscle in your body because the tongue isn't one muscle. It's actually made up of eight different muscles. But where that muscle differentiates from the rest of your muscles on the outside of your body and the things that you feel is that it doesn't rely on your skeleton. It doesn't need your skeleton to be able to do anything. So it, in and of itself, it's, it's this standalone muscle that can move without the use of the skeletal system. Pretty amazing. I bet when you came in today, you didn't realize you were going to learn so much about your tongue. You also didn't realize you'd be sitting in a pool of your own sweat. 
But there we are. Tongues are interesting things. And that's why it's such a hard thing to tame the tongue. Because it is such an amazing muscle. And the words that come out of our mouths are often what get us into trouble. This is where James goes on. When he goes on into verse 6 here of this passage, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James knew it way back then, and, and he's telling both the church then, and we should be heeding it today, is that how we talk, and how we think are causing us to stumble and fall. You know, do you remember that saying that your parents or adults would say to when we were kids? Remember that? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? And you know what we were thinking when they said that to us? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I want to say what I want to say when I want to say it. And you know, most of us have grown up and we realize, not all of us, mind you, there's still some people out there who need to hear this regularly, but most of us have realized that you shouldn't just say whatever you think because it's not, if it's not nice, what's the point in saying it? But I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to challenge you a little bit today in saying that just because you don't say it doesn't mean it's okay to think it. Just because you don't say it right to a person to their face, but you talk about it later or think about it later doesn't make it any better. We ought to change this to, if you can't think anything nice, don't think about the person at all. But we can't do that because our brains don't work that way. This is what this series is all about and what we're going to be talking about. The words that we need to cut out and the things we need to stop thinking about in our lives that will help keep ourselves, our big fat mouths from getting into trouble. And today we're going to talk about a specific word, and that word is compare. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, the word compare isn't that bad of a word, right? I mean, when I was in school, uh, we used to have these assignments we were given where we had to take two stories and read them and then compare them and contrast them. Not a fun assignment, mind you, but it was what we had to do. And then also, if you're buying a new house or a new car, you really should be going out and comparing them to each other to make sure that you're getting the right car, the right house for you, Right? And there's even these websites now that are devoted to you putting, d picking two or three products and then it compares them and shows you the differences so that you can pick the best one and get the best choice for your money. Comparing can be very useful. You know, last week, if you were here, Darren uh, Hudson got up and he spoke and man, he did a great job, I'm going to tell you. And he talked about, he got up and compared his sermon length as compared to Nathan and Rick's sermon's length. That's good to know, right? You want to know, hey, if the guy who's, who talks less is here, I want to go listen to that guy. Um, I'm not that guy, by the way. Mine's going to go 45 minutes. You guys got time? I mean, I, I can go for a while if you want me to. But, you know, I decided I'm going to do this as well because I feel like, you know, 
Sometimes we like to physically compare people. So I decided I'm gonna, this is going to go well, okay? We're going to physically compare some people. Right now, I, I kind of snuck in to Nathan and Rick's private pictures. And I got a picture here, and I want you guys to compare. And we want to compare Nathan and Rick. Let's check out Nathan here. Man. I mean, he looks good, right? I mean, buff. You guess you didn't know he had that tattoo, did you? Um, you can't see it when he puts makeup on it. It's fine. Um, so there he is. But what you don't know is this is what Rick looks like. <laughs> Seriously? Like, I'm up here looking like Paul Bart Mall Cop. And this is what Rick looks like. And he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 90s or 80s or 70s. I think he, Arnold Schwarzenegger was probably born looking like this. Um, but, like, I look, I've got dad bod, and they're, like, rocking it, right? Um, in case you guys don't know, those aren't really pictures of Nathan and Rick. I just, I didn't want there to be any confusion. I, I put his head on another bot. If you want to talk about it afterwards, we'll talk about how the Internet works. Um, but this, this is not really what they look like. But comparing can be fun, and it can be useful sometimes. But with the, when we compare, where we get into trouble is when we start comparing ourselves to other people. Now, I can tell you that I have a five-year-old son, Sam, and he loves to compare his life to other people's lives particularly because he has a younger brother who he feels like the injustices of the world are the things his brother gets to do that he doesn't get to do. Like apparently in some cruel reality, we mistreat him and his brother gets to do things like, oh, why does he get to sleep in your bed? I don't get to sleep in your bed ever. Okay, well, you did. Um, oh, he, gets, he doesn't have to eat that, but I do? Yeah, that's true. You're, you're older. Oh, he has to go... He gets to stay home, and I got to go to school, and then, yeah, that, that happens too. And he also loves to compare himself to the things he sees on TV. He loves watching these shows and pretending like he's those things. I, I can't bring myself to tell him that there's no chance he could ever be a transformer, right? Like, yes, yeah, son, that's a job possibility. It's fine. Um, and he's comparing himself to, you know, his friends at school as well. I mean, we, we just recently experienced this whole peer comparison. We have the school, he has these show-and-share days where they get to bring a toy with them, right? And, and one day, it's show-and-share day, and we're like, hey, bud, it's show-and-share day, what do you want to take? He's like, it's not show-and-share day. I was like, yeah, it is. You could take it to, no, 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 I don't think it is. Because I'm in the habit of lying to my child about when he gets to take a toy to school. And he was so concerned that he would be the only kid there who had a toy with him while all the other kids didn't. And I'm like, is this a bad problem? I don't understand what we're talking about. But to him, the idea of being different and standing out was just causing him way too much stress. You know, we do this as adults. We look at other people's lives. We look at their families. We look at their houses, their stuff their jobs, their friends. And, and we want to be like them. And we do these comparisons. And, it, and we, we look at, we use things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we, we see these people's lives that they put on display for us. And we think, man, I want that. If I had that, I'd be, I'd be a better person or I'd be happier. The reality of that is many of these people are not putting their real lives out for you to see. They're picking and choosing what they want you to see because they too want to be compared and held up to other people in a, in a positive way. 
Now, I get this. I, I, I'm, I can tell you, I'm not immune to this. I've done it. I've done it myself, you know. I, look, I compare myself to other parents, to coworkers, to just to other men in general, right? I mean, I just did it a minute ago when we showed those pictures. And we, we think about how we, maybe I could be more physically fit like this guy or that guy. Or maybe, maybe I could be a better dad. That guy's really got it going on. He knows how to be a dad. Or that, that's a way better husband than me. He, knows how, he does better things for his wife than I do. Maybe I could be funnier. Maybe I could be more captivating. Maybe I could be better, tell better stories. Any number of things. You, you put it on the list. We've done it. And we look at other people's lives and we think about how we want to be like them and we stop appreciating who we are. And we focus too much on who we're not. Now, if you're a teenager in this room, I'm going to talk to you right now. You've really got this bad, okay? You've got, the, you've got a hard road because you're constantly basing your life upon what you're seeing other kids your age doing and how they're acting. You know, you look at kids that you... That you are friends with or you go to class with and you try to fit in. You know, when I was in school, it was about being popular, right? The popularity contest. And if you, if you stood out in some way and you were unique, many times you were treated like an outcast. You weren't treated well because you weren't like everybody else. And that was 20 years ago, people. I graduated high school in 1997, okay? We didn't have the social bombardment, that we, the media bombardment that you kids are dealing with now. We didn't, we didn't deal with that. We didn't have this constant pressure of having to be like other people. I can't imagine how you're navigating that. Because it was hard for me at that point. I can't, I can't even begin to look at what you're dealing with now. Both adults and teenagers and kids, we're all dealing with this comparison of our lives to other people. And this is a struggle that we deal with, and that's going to be around today's big idea because when we compare ourselves to others, we miss out on God's best. I want to stand up here today and tell you that we're not all the same. If you didn't know that, I'm telling you today, we're not made the same. Yeah, God created us differently. Each one of us is different. You know the saying, it's like comparing apples to oranges. That's what comparing two people is. It's like apples to oranges. They're not the same. And, and we read about this in the Bible. I mean, David, King David wrote about this in Psalms. In Psalm 139, and verse 14, here's what he wrote. He wrote, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I, I am not a knitter. I can't knit. Can anybody in here knit? Any knitters? I see a few of you. Man, that's awesome. It's an awesome, it's an awesome ability to have because knitting is hard. I can tell you, I bought a knitting kit for my wife a few years back, and I tried to help her with it, and I think I ended up just like, throwing it in the trash. I was just infuriated. It's so hard. And it takes a lot of patience. My mom could knit. She knitted these blankets, these little beautiful little blankets. She gave one to my oldest niece, who's now in her 20s. Um, But it was such a beautiful thing. Knitting, it takes patience, and there's really design to it. You know, you can't just sit down and start knitting and hope that something's just going to show up. You kind of have to think about it and have a plan. Well, this is what David's comparing this to. 
what he says here. He said, God knit us together in our mother's womb. And he did it with patience. He had a design. And he did it with love. He, he, he knew what the beauty of our lives could look like when he was forming us. And he created us, the words they use is fearfully and wonderfully. Wonderfully. You were created wonderfully. Yeah, we're created in the image of God, but as I said, we're not all created the same. The fact that each of us is different proves that. I mean, if, even if you have a, you're not sure you have a strong faith in God and, and what he did, you can look around and see that no two people are really exactly alike. I mean, if God wanted us to be alike, he would have designed us to be exactly alike. He would have made us all walk, talk, and act the same. That would have been his goal. God doesn't make mistakes when he makes us. But yet we still find ourselves constantly comparing our lives to those of the people around us. Now, I think we do this because we're oftentimes unhappy with some part of our lives. And we think that if we can imitate this other person or, or get what this person has, that maybe that will bring us happiness. That will fill this hole. You know, maybe it's those friends that we have that just const- we always see hanging out and having fun, and we're not part of that. And we think, man, I want to be a part of that, or I want something like that. Or maybe it's, the coworker you have that got the promotion that you didn't get or seems to have a better job than you have. Maybe it's you think somebody is handsomer than you or prettier than you. Maybe it's the family member who just seems to have better stuff than you do and they seem to always get the, the breaks that you don't get. We start comparing our lives and trying to fill those holes because that's what the world has told us is important, what those things are. Things are important. And so as a result of us wanting to be more like other people, we start letting our decisions be led by these comparisons that we make. And those start to pull us away from the plan that God had for us. We see we don't just miss out on God's best when we, when we compare ourselves to others. We also let negative attitudes get into our, into our lives. We let jealousy, greed, lying, cheating, adultery, anger, depression. We let things like shame and addiction run our lives because we think there's what those people have might make me happier. Now, Moses was given the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, and one of these commandments he wrote about here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Here's Here's the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So coveting, coveting meaning wanting, you know, desiring for, comes, comes from a comparison to our own lives. We look at what we have and we say, well, it's not as good as what they have. We don't have the newest car, the biggest house. We don't have the same number of friends. We don't have this or that. We don't have great marriages. 
You know, I don't, my, my husband or wife isn't as good as their husband or wife. We don't have the best relationship with God. That's one that people sometimes look around and say, well, that person seems to be more in touch with God than I am. So we long for what they have, and sometimes that ends up making us sin, make bad choices. You see, when God gave us this specific commandment, he knew that this was about inner turmoil. It was, he knew that coveting other people's things was going to lead us to these other sins. So that's why he said, don't do that. Because when we do that and when we want something else that someone has, we miss out on the fact that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We, re- we don't realize what we are, what God put into us. Now, other times we look at people and instead of wanting to be like them, we aren't comparing ourselves and thinking that we're better than them. That's another way that we get ourselves in trouble with comparing. We get caught saying things like, I'm so glad I don't act like that guy, or at least I'm not as bad as her. Or, see, it could be worse. You could be like them. That's one for me. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll stand up here and be open with you is that's when I deal with when I'm having struggles or things aren't going the way that I wish they would I often find myself saying well see it could be worse I could be like that could have that issue and it makes me feel better by comparison because I think well I don't have it as bad as it could have it but when we compare ourselves to others we do miss out also on connecting with people in our lives Looking at other people and comparing yourself to them causes us to be judgmental, cold, and unkind. Honestly, this is the root of where racism, sexism, bigotry, all of these things, they come from this, from comparing ourselves to other people and thinking we're better than them. We look at them and try to come up with these ideas, like this competition, this imaginary competition that we're in to have a better life than other people. Do you guys remember that board game life? I think it's still around. You know, we didn't have it in my house, but my cousin had it, and every time we'd go over there, we'd play that game. Um, And the point of this game was, as kids, you're playing this game, you're trying to get to the end of the board, the end of your life, in essence, with the best things, like a family with the right number of kids and the best car and the best job so that you could ride off into the board game sunset, right? That was the point of life. And as we've grown up, we've gotten caught up in this idea that that's how we're supposed to live life, having the best things and the best house and the best family. But the only way we can do that is how? By beating all the other players. So we start comparing ourselves, and that ends up causing us to draw away from other people. You know, we start focusing on our careers as our sole way of being happy. And we lose focus on connecting with the people in our lives. We focus on having the best house, so we, don't, we, we spend our money there as opposed to spending it in ways that, we'll, that we can serve the Lord. I mean, these are things that we, that we focus on because we're comparing our lives to other people's. And we're trying to be the better man or woman as opposed to just being who God made us. Now, the same is true for your spiritual life. We look at other people and we think about how they've stumbled and, and they've fallen short of being a good person. 
Maybe they struggle with an addiction or maybe they have this sin that they're dealing with and we start categorizing sin. We start categorizing, you know, how good of a person we put. We create this goodness scale, right? We say, well, this sin's not as bad as that sin. That will get you in more trouble than that. Why do we do that? Well, you might say things like, well, yeah, I talk about my friends behind their back, but at least I don't lie to them. Or, yeah, I might look at porn every now and then, but at least I'm not cheating on my wife like that guy. Or you say stuff like, well, sure, every now and then I do something a little unethical at work, but I'm not directly stealing from the company. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're using the phrase when you're talking about some, your struggles and use the phrase, but at least I'm not, or but I'm not, you are doing what I'm talking about. And the thing that gets very difficult about when we do this is that when we compare our sins to others, we miss the chance to appreciate God's grace. You see, by comparing our sins, we're doing this to make ourselves feel better. That's the root of what we're doing. But the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote about this in Galatians when he wrote his letter to the Galatian church. He wrote, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of us test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now the last line here is what we're talking about. Paul wrote, For each will have to bear his own load. Now bearing your own load basically means that you're going to be held accountable for your own sins. When we compare that to other people and try to make ourselves feel better about our sin by saying, well, it's not as bad as their sin, we're trying to lighten our load. We take it upon ourselves. We're downplaying sin. We're saying, well, that's not as bad because we're trying to remove the guilt or the consequence by our power or some magical loophole that we found. That's not what God intended. You see, God sent Jesus, his son, to die for us, to give us grace, to forgive us of these sins fully so that we wouldn't be held accountable. And we, were, we, we should be held accountable, but he didn't want us to be. So Jesus came and gave us this gift freely without any need to explain ourselves or try to attempt to put ourselves ahead of others in this faith line. We're spinning our wheels trying to do something that that was never God's in, in plan. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of God. There's no way to rank yourself above other people. But I'm going to say this. Jesus did also come and give us another way where comparing finally does help us. And that is when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we can live life to the fullest. You see, Jesus came and died for us to give us grace, but he was an example of what we should be doing in our lives. He lived in a way that if we look at his life and we try to imitate that, that we, that we can find fulfillment in God. and we can, find, we can find the best possible life that God really intended for us to have. Now, I'm not talking about trying to be sin-free. We can't do it. 
just can't be done. Jesus was the only one that did it. That's why grace was so important, is because that was the one thing we can't imitate Jesus on, is being sin-free. But he took care of that. But what Jesus is trying to teach us is how to live our lives in a way that would focus on relationships, both with God and with each other. Remember what he said when they asked him what was the, the most important commandment? He said, love your Lord, your God, and love your neighbor, right? It's focusing on two relationships. That's what God wants us to imitate. Jesus wants us to imitate. Focus on the vertical relationship with you and God, right? That's number one. That's important. Number two, focus on these horizontal relationships, the people around you. If you want to compare yourselves to someone, compare yourself to that, to that model. Focus on that. And Jesus knew this back then. He knew that this was going to be a struggle. Even his own disciples were, were going to him and saying, which one of us is the best, Jesus? It's like having a bunch of little kids come to you. Which one do you like the best? That's what they were doing. And Jesus was like, man, I don't want to do this. You guys are asking me this, and this isn't, there's, this isn't important. Because they were comparing themselves to each other. So what did Jesus tell them? He, he, Jesus said this, and he said this in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He said, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus ended that right there, telling them what was important. The last line is what he's trying to tell them about not comparing. He's saying, Seek first the kingdom. That's what you should be seeking and his righteousness. And then he says, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. Jesus was trying to tell us, don't worry about what other people have. Don't even worry about what you have. Focus on God. Focus on the fearfully and wonderfully made person that you are that God made you to be. And, and you'll be less worried about what the world tells us is important. And, we'll, and, and you'll start focusing less on others and comparing yourself to others. And, and instead, you'll be focused on, on loving others, loving God. You know, Jesus, he loves you no matter what you do. God loves you when he looks down upon you. He looks at you as this beautiful creation that he made. He proved that when he sent Jesus to die for you. He loves you just how you are. And not because you're like anyone else or you're better than anyone else. God made us fearfully and wonderfully. I want you to remember that as you go out today. Remember that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Because you are. 
When he designed you, he didn't hold you up next to like a model of another person to get it right. He didn't need to. He was making you. He made you with intention. He made you with love. He made you with a plan. He had a plan. He wants you to look at yourself and realize that no matter what anyone else does or whatever anyone else has, nothing can get in the way of his love for you. Now, here in just a minute, we're going to go into a time of communion. And we've got stations, two in the front and two in the back. And our time of communion is, we do this each week here at White Oak because we want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So we take this bread as a symbol of God's body, as Jesus' body, when he told his disciples, eat, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And then we drink the, the, the juice as a, as a symbol of the blood of Jesus shed for you on the cross. That's what we do. We invite all believers of Jesus to come and take communion with us each week. And as the band plays here in just a moment, I would encourage you to come down and take that time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And remember that he did this for you because he wanted you to know you were fearfully and wonderfully made and he loved you. But before we do, I just want to take a moment to pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come into this place and worship you and see you and just experience you, Lord. To get a message from the Holy Spirit of what you want us to know about our lives. We thank you that you made us fearfully and wonderfully. That you had a plan for us. That you designed us as a unique, beautiful human being. Please help us this week and going forward to remember that it's not about how we stand up to anyone else. It's not about how we look in comparison to the world. But it's how we love you and how we love others, Lord. We thank you for your son's sacrifice. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.